Hello, everyone. I'm Hazel Shaul, and I'm here to guide you through the toughest transitions in life, business, and even love. Welcome to Endings. When it's tough, you just got to keep going because it won't be tough forever. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Madeline. She once described herself as a recovering academic. Fed up with university politics, she quit a job with nothing but dog walking planned next. Many walks later, she says, education and learning consultant best describes her work now. Madeline's is a story of surviving an ending that many would fear. This episode is about intense emotions, how you can learn to harness them for good and recognize when they're sending you down the wrong path. Pay attention to her choices around confronting or ignoring emotions. And we'll come back to that later. But first, let's go back to the beginning. Madeline had never gone to university but she'd managed to make a success of herself. She had a well-paid job, but she could do it with her eyes closed. I mean, it was not fulfilling at all. And I needed a new challenge. I needed something that was mine and would give me a bit of a sense of achievement and progress. So, in her early 20s, Madeline enrolled in university as a mature student, setting her on a bold new trajectory and then I fell in love with learning, simple as that. I just actually loved it. So that's when I said, right, okay, I'm going to do a master's. It's a master's of research and also the PhD on the back of it. Madeline accepted a job teaching at the university. And it was around that time a relationship started with Steve. He was fascinated, he loved learning, but actually loved teaching. He loved watching that light bulb go on in people. He also wanted to try new stuff. And what he wanted to do was stop smoking and get fit. Well, at that time, I was doing triathlons. I was out running 10-mile weighted runs. I was doing all sorts. So I thought, right, okay, here's another new challenge. And um, we started going swimming together and I started getting him into running. And then before I kind of knew what had happened, that friendship had turned into a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I was a very good teacher and he got very fit and decided that he wanted to do an Ironman, which is an ultra triathlon. And so he was training for that and he was understandably losing quite a bit of weight quite quickly. I was concerned about the amount of weight he was losing. And then it became clear that he was struggling with some of his swallowing and we were a bit worried. Anyway, um, tests showed that it was uh, stomach cancer, stage four, and had already spread to his lymph nodes. So terminal cancer, we were told it would be months. So we made the absolute most of those months. And in that time, we managed to get married planned a wedding in six weeks. It was a, um, it was one of my greatest ever projects, but it was only months. Following Steve's death, Madeline didn't quite know how to process her grief. She tried to distract herself with a new puppy called Skye. And on top of her university work, she threw herself into volunteering and got involved in fundraising. One of my therapists said to me, you're not going to win a an award for being the world's best widow. All the while, 
numbing the pain with alcohol. She pushed herself to the point of exhaustion. And at this low ebb, Madeline experienced another tragic ending. Her stepdad, Bob, died, and also from cancer. Buried on the 22nd of March, Bob's funeral just so happened to be the two-year anniversary of Steve's death. So much grief for her to deal with. And my response to that was to pack my bags and go and live and work in Thailand because, hey, you know, run away, cover it over, mask it up. And I found myself on my own in a, an apartment in Bangkok, having lost the man that loved me, having watched my stepdad die and watched my mum feel the pain that I had felt two years earlier. And I was really, really low. So there you are in Thailand. What was it that made you decide enough time to pack this up and go home? I don't regret doing it at all. Um, It was a, I'm very pleased I chose to try. But actually, you know, I was working long hours and there's only so many Buddhas that you want to go and see on your own. It's not a lot of fun when you go into another temple and go, (laughs) oh yeah, there's another Buddha. And every day I was waking up and my core realization was it is another six hours before there is anyone in this world who loves me who will be awake. The final bit for me was just thinking, do you know, actually, you don't have to tough it out. You don't have to tough it out. You can actually just surround yourself with people who love you and try your best. Once I kind of realized that bit, time to go home. And when we talked, you said that there's been a number of things that have helped over the years. And, and what was the thing that helped you most at that time? Because these are some pretty big things to get through. Honesty with friends and family, which meant honesty with myself and actually saying, I am not well. Um, I am currently poorly. And that means, yes, bring me chicken soup, leave it on the doorstep, or please pester me as to whether or not I'm feeling okay today. I have some incredible friends who spoke to me multiple times a day just to check in. And that combined with eating better, doing more exercise, meditation, journaling, just keeping keeping a track of where I'm at in the moment, those mindful practices allowed me to get back to that place where it was, breathe in, breathe out, repeat. And actually, when it's tough, you just got to keep going because it won't be tough forever. But you've got to find ways to make sure that you're not focusing on forever, that you're focusing on, I'm alive now. This second right now is not hideous. It's not awful, actually. Okay, let's go to the next bit. That's what always struck me about your capacity to keep going, to find a way forward, to be able to have the self-honesty of recognising when you the ways you're coping aren't good for you or they're destructive and to be able to sort of stop, right, what am I doing? Find a better way. And also to know how to ask for help. And it's something I think many people can struggle with. If, you know, am I drowning or waving? And it's hard to say, actually, I'm drowning. I can't do this. I need a bit of help. We also talked about the stuff that doesn't help. I don't know if you want to say a bit more about that through your whole journey of the stuff that really don't do to anyone who's going through what you've been through. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are some things that I don't do personally. You know, I mean, there is that. I know people said to me at the time, don't do anything you can't undo. You know, if you are in a massive period of grief or change or loss, don't do anything you can't undo. Sell your house or something like that. But actually, the, you know, don't. If somebody else is going through it, you know, don't tell them to have turmeric. Yeah, bloody turmeric. It, it is not helpful. Another thing is don't talk to people about the stages of grief and explain to them that it's okay if they feel angry. Because quite often, from my experience, I didn't know what anger was. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I feel angry. Meanwhile, I'm going out and grunting whilst doing deadlifts and punching walls. But I don't feel angry. This is exercise. It's really challenging, I think, when you are in extreme emotions to be able to identify what they are. I don't think it's helpful for somebody else to try and identify them for you. I grew up, I think, in a family where anger wasn't valued and sadness wasn't valued particularly or appreciated. If I was angry, that was something to be suppressed. And sadness is something that I didn't particularly see. And actually, that kind of working through of, oh, okay, I'm angry today. And that's just as good, valid, acceptable as being joyful. By golly, feel it, feel all of it. In a bid to be seen to be productive and busy, one of my therapists said to me, Madeline, there's no badge. You're not going to win a, an award for being the world's best widow, for achieving the most. What is it that you think you're going to get? You're not going to cure cancer and you're not going to get a medal. So do you know what? Maybe leaning into some of this pain might be a good thing. I know that it was said to try and make me angry. Did it work? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why there's not a prize for being the best widow. Damn it. <laughs> I was going to say, in the competitive nature that you have. <laughs> but then, as you say, it's interesting when you can't feel the emotion because... Those kind of big emotions we know can make people feel either numb or you're so close to the emotion, you can't name it. And it's hard to be able to express your own lived experience to someone else. But I was also picking up on that idea of every family's got the hot potato emotions that are not valued or are not permitted. And so, of course, you won't develop tools to deal with those emotions. So those would be the two emotions that you would have nothing in your toolkit for and yet they are the two emotions you've probably felt the most. Absolutely. And that sense of directed anger, particularly in thinking about the grief and losing Steve. Actually, I wasn't angry at anybody. I was angry. I felt angry. It was almost as though I felt I needed to direct that to something or someone. And I couldn't see at the time that it was okay just to be angry that I didn't have to have there didn't have to be a bad guy in this scenario you know I didn't have to say oh I'm angry at cancer or I'm angry at a treatment plan or or at Steve for leaving me or or any of those things actually it was okay just to go oh this is what anger feels like I'm angry that was a, a sort of has been a big learn for me and also that actually the realisation that both that anger and sadness that I wasn't particularly great at feeling. I mean, gosh, don't get me wrong, Hazel, there were days I was in a pit of sobbing and despair. But I don't think it was terribly well processed. But some of that sadness and anger, it wasn't about 
Steve dying. It was about what Steve represented. And what Steve represented was a joyful finding after years of shitty relationships. So it was what he represented as much as the man himself. And that took a long time to realise, um, you know, it, it's... It's never about. It's never just about the thing. It's about what that thing represents in the in your future, as much as in the moment. I think was something I kind of worked my head around. Yeah, well, I think the idea of endings. I say it's it's not just the life, the relationship. It is the future you'd imagined, and all of those things come to an end when you lose someone. Any of those endings, it's the future that you miss as much. I think it is also the identity. You build an identity for yourself in a relationship, in a friendship, in an organisation, in a, in a role, professional role. And when that ends, there is a period where you are at a loss as to who you are anymore in certain people's eyes. But also when you look in the mirror, in, this, in, in my case, if I was not the love of Steve's life, the woman who cared for him, who built this new life with him who was able to look after all of his needs and be there for him and also was not the person that he thought I was you know that phrase be the person your dog thinks you are all I wanted to be was to be the person that Steve thought I was because he thought I was amazing you know we literally died he literally died in our honeymoon period so I was still up there to redefine yourself it's not just hard but it's it takes a lot of emotional energy. Yeah. And thinking of that, I remember you saying that Steve helped you to fall in love with yourself, Ignen, not just him. So if you could go back to your younger self who maybe lacked a little self-love, what advice would you give her? Oh, I've thought about this a lot and I've done, you know, lots of things about talking to your younger self or writing a letter to your younger self. I think I would say that you're not too much. You're not you're not too much for anybody. Actually, if you walk into a room and you feel like you're too big for that room, change rooms, don't shrink. Fabulous. You talked to us about having to figure out a new identity for you after Steve and, and working things through. And I know the future may be not what you thought it would be in 2014, but actually, you maybe have a slightly different future now. Do you want to say a little bit more about what happened next in your story once you started to find a way to process all that grief? I think a big part of me as a person is that I love a new challenge and I like moving on to new things. And I know a very good friend of mine has said to me, sometimes she's never sure whether or not I'm running towards something new or running away from. And I think in periods of grief, I have done quite a lot of running away from. But I also do have always been a person that, you know, I'm easily bored. I want to like a new challenge. When, after I got Sky, before my my stepdad died, I decided that actually what I didn't want a, a career in academia anymore because it meant I couldn't spend time with her. And actually, what I realised was my identity was not about being an academic. It was about, yes, I might have a love of learning, but it's not working in it's what working in that kind of environment. Actually, what's more important to me is to be able to commit time to the things I love. A job is there to buy me time. 
I decided that I didn't want to do that. I started working myself. I worked as a consultant in various different projects. And that's what took me to, to Asia for a while and working from home. And after I come back and after sort of the end of lockdown, I realized that what was really important to me was to be able to see more of my family that were down south. Steve and I had a cat called Catherine who was ancient, as old as the hills, and she passed away. Bless her little heart. And in doing so, I had a moment of realisation that I didn't have to stay in Manchester. And I decided that I would sell the house and move down to Essex, where my mum is and my sister is. I didn't realise how how powerful it would be moving away from the road where I had loved and lived with Steve and where I had cared for him and where he died. And actually being there where he had lived and died was wonderful and it was what I needed when he died. But five years later, actually, I was still holding on to that bit and I didn't realise quite how much. And in moving away, I think I gave myself permission somehow to let my life open up a little more. Wonderful. And even down to meeting someone new. Yeah, I'm now very, very deeply in love with a wonderful man who, like Steve, makes me feel like me. And he's he's glorious. All any of us could ask for. Yeah, isn't that all we want? Isn't that all we want? We just want, you know, actually, I don't need, I don't, I didn't need somebody to take care of me. I don't need somebody to pay the bills. I don't need any of that. But I tell you what, I do want someone to share the ride with and somebody who I can feel at home with, who sees all of me and and likes all me for me. And I, you know, that is a real joy and he is wonderful. And we have added to our collection of dogs with another little little one, Nelly, the puppy. With him, I know I am enough. And that is wonderful. So Madeline's story absolutely reminded me of that saying, if you're going through hell, keep going. And she is a wonderful example of, you are what you believe yourself to be. And many people think they are unlovable and fail to see the love around them. Or they think they're not clever enough to learn, and so don't. And in sadness, we need to heal and not hurt ourselves more. Madeline's one of the kindest souls I know, and I do wish her all the happiness and love in the world. She has earned her happy ending. Now, if you are going through something very difficult, the important thing is to be kind to yourself, to heal if you need to heal, and to figure out how to ask for the support you need. And if you're grieving, personally, I think it's actually the job of the people around you to ask you what you need from them and to be okay that you might not be able to answer, but they've got to keep on asking and keep asking until you can answer them. Because some things will leave you feeling numb and feeling the need to withdraw. This is the big version of what happens when our amygdala, which is the fear centre of the brain, triggers. If you think most of us notice the freeze, flight, fight, So imagine that as big emotional responses. Freeze becomes numb. Flight becomes to run away, to withdraw. And fight, well, yeah, that's where the anger comes from. 
And Madeline describes she worked out that you didn't need to be angry at, there was no bad guy, but anger does have a purpose, and I'll talk about that shortly, because it's about angry because, it's not angry at, but it is angry because. And all of those big emotions come from somewhere, and it's because a very primitive part of our brain has triggered, and it's triggered in a very lasting way. So yes, you might get angry and destructive, that include being self-destructive. You're human. And there are grief counsellors, there are therapists, there are friends, and there are dogs. Can't recommend cats personally, and I am a cat lover. You need someone just to hear you and to be okay with all of you, all of that messy human emotion, because that's okay. All of it is okay. And throughout endings, big emotions can arrive a bit unannounced and a bit unwanted. The key is to be willing to accept them as they arrive, because they all have a role. Now, the interesting thing with emotions, especially in certain cultures, we can be a little worried about them. Uh, Madeleine mentioned that in her family, anger and sadness were not particularly valued emotions. Many families have certain emotions that are not accepted or are suppressed. And as a consequence, you don't grow and develop with the tools to deal with those emotions. Some families... It's totally okay to express sadness, to cry, but it is absolutely not acceptable to get angry. In other families, you can rage, you can kick the door in, but you certainly couldn't express fear or sadness. And so that's quite typical. But if you don't have the tools, when they arrive in their huge, excessive form, in such like bereavement or any kind of major loss, then you absolutely will not be equipped to deal with them. The one thing to remember is when this very primitive part of our brain is triggering, your brain only has two gears and two directions. It has forward and back, fast and slow. And the job of emotion is to move us. So sadness pulls us away slowly to heal. And when we feel like we can rejoin society, we can do that. We can move back into the stream of life and we can carry on. But we do have to pull away for a little while. Anger is about fast forward, forward towards getting our needs met. The irony is you're less likely to get your needs met if you are just expressing anger all the time because other people don't tend to respond too well to it. So you use the emotion to notice that you have unmet needs and you find a different way to express them. Fear, the job of fear is to move you quickly away to safety. Interestingly, when people express emotions like disgust, Well, it's to move us fast away from the thing we reject. Contempt is actually pushing us slowly away from the thing we judge or feel superior to. Actually, there's a correlation, a 95% correlation to divorce in five years, by the way, to people expressing contempt. It's not a great one. And it is the only asymmetric expression on the human face, if you imagine that sneer. But when we express emotion, we see people getting very emotional about things. Actually, it's quite straightforward when we start to interpret them and understand. But as Madeleine said, sometimes we don't even know what we're feeling. The first step is to learn to say, I feel X because Y. So not at, there's no judgment here. I'm not angry at or sad at, I'm sad because. I'm angry because our emotions are our emotions. Nobody in the world is powerful enough to make you feel a single thing. Only you are that powerful. That's why you can control those emotions. They are hard because they're very primitive. Now, happiness or surprise, all of those emotions move us towards 
And as we heard at the end of Madeline's story, when you are feeling happy, when you can feel awe, when you can feel this wonderful positive emotions, it moves us towards the positive things in our life. So it's allowing ourselves, even in the middle of sadness, to allow both sadness and, even if it's, I'm sad because my relationship has come to an end, or I'm grieving, and this is a beautiful morning. Just to be able to still feel the awe or the happiness in small things, because it's only when we get binary that we only allow ourselves one emotion. Humans are capable of very complex emotions, and it's allowing ourselves to feel this and that. And once we realize we can experience two things at once, then perhaps we allow a bit more space for the positive, and we can rebalance and know that over time, if we keep going, we will get through this. The one thing with emotions, though, is whatever emotions you express, as long as you talk about what you feel and why, it probably won't do you any harm. But repress it, sweep it under the rug, it won't just trip you up. It's a huge thank you to Madeline. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Endings. If you'd like to share your thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And you can reach me at HazelCS on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And if you're interested in understanding the endings happening in your own life a little better, I have the perfect thing for you. It's my five-step worksheet developed specifically for listeners of this podcast and based on years of my research. This first step will only take you 20 minutes to complete and will bring you a lot closer to understanding how to make these difficult decisions around endings. Click on the link in the show notes to download your Thriving Through Endings worksheet now. Finally, if you know someone who might benefit from hearing about bereavement, please share this episode with them. I'm Hazel Shaw, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode of Endings. <laughs>